Hello. And then do you need me? Oh, I'm sorry. Do you need me to record anything on my end? Uh, no, you're good. You're good. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Four Comic Junkies podcast. When the comics aren't enough and you need a little extra fix. I'm your host, JJ Hodges. This podcast is a proud member of the Batman Podcast Network, hosted by Batman on Film. Go to batman-on-film.com for all the coolest, grooviest, newest news about Batman. If you're looking for, like, Spider-Man news, you'd have to go somewhere else. You're probably not going to find it there. But that's okay. It's the internet. You'll find it. We're, we're good. We're good. You understand. All right. Getting into today's topic, another edition of I Am 35 and So Are They. And my guest today is none other than Ryan C. Showers from the Scream with Ryan C. Showers podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again, Ryan. Hey, I am happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I got the invite and I couldn't say no. I was very excited to reach out to you when I think... Um, you know, you're one of the first people I think of when I think of uh, horror movies, because um, I, I, you know, obviously you have a horror podcast. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so when I was thinking about doing this type of uh, segment, I was like, you know, what, you know, what, what, what came out around 1987 that was awesome other than me, um, and of course a bunch of cool movies. Uh, today we're talking about Hellraiser, which is. It's one hell of a wild ride. Let's just put it that way to start. <laughs> um, well, let me, let me, so let's start with you, Ryan. Um, so you were talking a little bit before we recorded. Um, so this was your first time seeing the movie? It was. Uh, so, you know, in Scream, because I run a podcast about Scream, mm-hmm. uh, they, uh, the options at the, at the big party at Stu's house are um, Halloween or Hellraiser. Um, and I, I, I've never actually seen Hellraiser. Um, until the last week after I got the invitation to come on this show. Um, and uh, so I, I've always known about it. And I, it's weird because I have actually seen the sequels, not like the good ones, like the straight to video ones. Like I, I, somebody bought me like a, like a six pack DVD set from Walmart. So I've seen the sequels, haven't seen the original, which, um, you know, why I made the choice to start watching the sequels before getting to the original, that was a bad judgment call. But I, um, I've seen the original, and I'm so happy that you made me watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you know, it, it's funny to me because when I think of uh, horror movies in the 80s, I mean, that's sort of when horror, I don't want to say peaked, but, you know, kind of, you, there's a lot of claim to fame in the 80s for horror. You know, there's, you know, of course, all the uh, Friday the 13th, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, you know, at least the first couple of Hel- uh, Hellri- or Hellraisers, um, and even... Um, like the thing, the fly, these weird like body horror movies, um, which I would include Hellraiser with that because it's such a, it's it's kind of gross <laughs> to yeah. watch. Um, but I, I I thought of it along the lines of like the fly or the thing because it's just so, it it, it is very much a body horror like, you you don't want to look but you simultaneously can't look away kind of kind of story if that makes any sort of sense. You know what it reminded me of? Like I, so the the like this is a weird comparison, but like when you think of horror, like you think of scary, right? You know, most yeah. people don't actually look at the definition of horror with like what is truly horrifying. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of in terms of like when I think of the word horrifying, I think of like disgusting or shocking, and I think Hellraiser rises to that level of like 
shocking and disgusting. Um, like the moment uh, in the film at the beginning where he kind of rises up through the ceiling, um, I, I was truly repulsed by. Um, and it, it ignited such a visceral, like, like almost like, you know, like I wanted to vomit seeing some of the, some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, and like this kind of, it's so effective um, because of like the thing about it is too, like the makeup and the prosthetics and the special effects that were done back then are, it's so much different from what we would see today. Um, I was just so floored by the, the effectiveness of how, it was done in terms of that and like this is a weird comparison but like the disgustingness of like something like alien resurrection at the end like that's oh. the same kind of vibe i got from horizon i know that's a weird comparison but uh, yeah <laughs> no i but i i get what you mean though it's uh you know it it, it, it is horrifying to look at because it's the clive barker is really great you know the with the the puppetry and the, the and the sound effects like they really sell it and it's just mm -hmm like oh my god like you're just you feel it when he's like the bones are crunching and you know the his skin is or his muscle at least is forming over his over frank's face it's just like like oh i can you know you can just feel it and it's just gross and i also like but it's just like hilarious to me thinking that like you know, thank God, like, nobody else went into that room the entire movie <laughs> because, yeah. you know, they would have just seen this disgusting, you know, half-man crawling out of the <laughs> out of the woodwork, like, literally crawling out of the woodwork there. <laughs> well, and the thing about it is, like, I I found, like, I found the concept of I, I, to be so interesting. Like, I think um, it's so cool the way that this movie structures, like, the, like, the woman like the the person who we're supposed to think is the heroine she's actually an anti-heroine and the heroine the real heroine's kind of buried and she becomes the final girl much later on in the film yeah. and they kind of do the same thing with like the big bad like we we're introduced to somebody who we think is the big bad but they're not really the big bad they're like a they're like a stand-in for the true big bad so i feel like it's so cool that like this movie subverts the expectation on both the the hero and the villain um because at first i was thinking oh, this is such an interesting take on like, you know, um, an anti-hero female lead um, and sex and um, uh, based on like a backlash to like the feminism of like the, of, of the second wave, you know, um, with the, like in the 80s when this movie came out, kind of like in the vein of Fatal Attraction, I thought it was such an interesting commentary, but they subvert that storyline altogether. Like the, the screenplay is actually very um, delicately um, constructed, I think. It, it, it is interesting because the first time you see uh, Pinhead, who's not called Pinhead in this movie, not until the sequels, um, which, by the way, it's, it's funny because I'm just the opposite of you. I've actually never seen the sequels, so i got to get on that. Um, Don't. But... <laughs> I'm, I'm very morbidly curious. I did see my best friend and I watched uh, Candyman 2 uh, about a okay. year and a half ago, I think during like quarantine, because we were big fans of the first Candyman, uh, also Clive Barker. Uh, also has a uh, milestone this year. It's 30, 30 years old. How about that? Um, anyway, <laughs> back to back to the topic. Um, I uh, oh, now I lost my train of thought. Uh, sequels. All right, got Candyman two. Um, we we watched it, and at the end of it, we were just like, so I didn't realize that I was gonna watch just the first one again, just with worse actors and the same plot. And <laughs> yeah, but that's exactly what Candyman two is. Um, Whereas uh, the newer Candyman, I did quite enjoy the 
with the Yahya Abdul Mateen. Um, I did enjoy that one. Uh, I saw that in the movie theater last year. But again, I digress. Um, I like. I, I I actually really enjoy um, the the Candyman. I uh, I I think it, there's a lot of very interesting things that are done with that film. Last uh, year. Yeah, I know. I, I I I agree very much so. Um, and of course, with Jordan Peele on board, you can you can hardly go wrong. Um, so, but you know, but I like I like how you put it that there's uh, the the movie. You know, when we first see Pinhead, we're we're kind of I think our first thought is, oh, that's the villain. He's the mm-hmm. bad guy. He's the one that's going to torment this family or whatever. And that's not the case at all. Like he's more of just he's just kind of a part of it. Um, in a weird way where like the Cenobites aren't they're, they're not really evil they're just sort of they just are what they are which is mm-hmm. such an interesting concept they're not invading our world trying to steal people's souls it's like if you come here then that's on you you chose this which is a, a strange which is sort of how like you know Christians define hell anyway right it's like you choose to you know leave God out of your life, then that's where you go. Um, which, you know, as I grew, grew older, it never made any sense to me. I'm like, wait, if God is everywhere, then, you know, why isn't, you know, why doesn't that work? It's like, well, people reject God and they go to hell. I'm like, but God's all forgiving. It's like, yeah, but, you know, if they don't want forgiveness, I'm like, I don't know. So this all sounds fishy to me. <laughs> that was my thought process at 13 and still at 35. Um <laughs> But, uh, but, you know, I, I find that aspect of it really interesting where they are very scary uh, to look at, the, the, the three or four Cenobites we get in this movie. But again, they're not, they're, they're just sort of logical. They're not, they're just sort of like, you, you know, hey, you, you know, they were talking to Kirsty, like, you open the box, you're here now, mm-hmm. you know, this is what we do. And it's just kind of funny that, you know, it's, it's like, <laughs> I'm realizing as I'm saying it, uh, it's like Monsters Inc. It's like it's just our job, man. Like you, you came here. Like I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. No, I I agree one hundred percent. It's uh, the way that uh, the way that they characterized them really uh, it really surprised me. Uh, and and the way that Pinhead was characterized was um, was quite surprising uh, compared to the legacy of this franchise for. For someone who had never seen the films before, if that makes sense. Or yeah. the, I'm sorry, the original film before. Yeah. Um, well, it's. I was reading about uh, the, the movie, and, and Doug Bradley, who plays Pinhead, he um, he'd done a lot of stage work. I don't think he'd done much film. And so, you know, he's used to being big and broad, you know, like you got to make sure everybody in the audience can see what you're doing. Whereas Clive Barker kind of told him to pull back. And I think mm-hmm. he really does an excellent job because he – you know, he, he doesn't really move. He, you know, he doesn't really even emote much. Um, mm-hmm. It's just for him, like, and, and that, that makes him scary because the second you see him, it's like this, this guy's in control and yeah. we're fucked, <laughs> you know, um, like literally and figuratively, in, uh, especially in Frank's case. Um, but, you know, it, it's just uh, it, such a, such a, interesting way to go with the movie where you know we start with frank and frank gets sucked into the into you know their dimension and then we go to his his brother and wife and and we just sort of you know and i think for a few minutes you're a little bit like at least for me when you're watching like like where where is this going like who's like is the the brother going to be involved in some way or is the you know what's what's the wife's story is the daughter going to do something 
And then through the uh, the flashbacks with uh, Julia's ever-changing 80s hair, <laughs> um, we get to, we, we learn about their affair and it's just like, I, it's just wild. Like, like wow, like this movie isn't, it, like you said, structured so differently than what I think we were used to. I have to say, I was floored by the montage and how they revealed the affair and the way that they use flashbacks. And it is, it, 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 it's, it's mind blowing the way that, the way that this is um, like the first, I guess what it's called, the rising action. Uh, whenever like after the movie's kind of set up and we kind of really get the meat of what's going on. Um, I was floored by it. And like, this is a very, <laughs> I think the actor uh, and, you know, I'm going to embrace my RCS gayness here for a second. Uh, we are recording in Pride Month. Um, I don't think, I think the actor who plays Frank um, in the flashbacks is hot. Um, but other than that, I don't really think this movie has particularly attractive actors in it. Yeah. Yet there is such a sensual and erotic flavor to this movie that I've, I, 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 it's like, it's like smoking, you know, it's just infectious. It just overtakes you. Um, and I think it just goes to the effectiveness of the mood of the, that this movie creates. And a lot of it is told through, you know, how they construct the reveal of the affair and then how she brings these men back to her, back to the house. And her, you know, we see her motives versus their motives and, you know, Frank's motive. Like it, it's so cool and there's so much subtext and it's so, I, I the directing here is so strong. I, it's one of these movies where the direction just, you know, for not no pun intended, but sticks you with like a bunch of pins. Like it just, you know, it, it's really, it, there is such an impact that's left on you and you're so engrossed like in it. And I think the moment of magic started for me really was that big montage where it's kind of, we start putting the pieces together of the affair. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, and it, it's funny you mentioned and, and, and no offense to the actors that they're, that they're not you know like the most attractive people or whatever, but it, it, it but sorry, but, no 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 it's fine. But in in all seriousness, like it 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 sort of in a weird way makes them more real, you know, yeah. because you know who do we know that looks like Freddie Prince Jr. You know, <laughs> trying to escape uh, the fisherman. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. um, or Sarah Michelle Gellar, which would be great if we got to meet her. But um, <laughs> um, it, it, so. <laughs> So having them be, you know, just average-looking people kind of is 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 interesting. And even, like, the men she lures back to her place are just – they're around Larry's age, you know, uh, her husband's age. So, you know, she can just kind of be like, hey, come to my place for a good time. No one needs to know about it. And a lot of these, you know, probably sad, lonely, either divorced men or unhappy in their marriage men are just like, sure, you know, why not? Um, and, and then, you know, it, it's just so, um, it's so gruesome. You just, she's how far she's willing to go for Frank when, you know, in, in all seriousness, you, I, I got the vibe almost immediately that like, if the roles were reversed, Frank would not do the same for her. Oh no. Like, honestly, her motivations are a mystery to me. Like I, because again, I, I assumed that she was our heroine. You know, yeah. until and then whenever she kills or whatever she you know takes the axe and strikes the first the the first couple of guys like I was with her to a point where I was rooting for her just because we're we're trained to root for the main character, and you know uh, then she character in a horror exactly film. in a yeah. horror film 
Yeah. Um, and in a way, I kind of, I do empathize with her because the, the relationship between her and Frank is kind of depicted as kind of as violent. Uh, I, in my, it's not seen as a healthy relationship whenever he is normal, you know, in the flashbacks. Right. So that makes her motivations all the weirder. Um, afterwards, like, I didn't understand why she was so attached to him um, post, you know, uh, post skin, if that makes sense. Um, <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, you know, I think that made the movie so much trickier and again, so much more engrossing because we don't really know what's going on. And like, we're we're constantly being challenged here with, with this narrative. Um, and I do think she is a great character. And I think this dynamic between them is so is so great, but it's um, it, it is puzzling. Um, have you ever seen the movie um, Unfaithful with Diane Lane and Richard Gere? Of course. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So it. It, 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 it reminds me of that a little bit, the affair she has, uh, the, the name of the actor is escaping me, um, the, the affair she has in that film, Diane Lane, because it, it, it is just, like, it, it doesn't seem like it's fun, you know? Like, yeah. I mean, they, they're kind of having fun, because, like, you know, sex is kind of fun, but, you know, it's like... Kind of? <laughs> um, well, I wouldn't know, it's been a while. <laughs> oh. uh, anyway, <laughs> but... Uh, but but seriously, it's like you know, it, it just it's so there's a there's a toxicity and a um, I don't know uh, a, a I guess for lack of a better word like a clinginess that Julia has to Frank that is so bizarre and so mm-hmm. like but but also not bizarre again it, it, it there's a reality to it that I don't sit there and go you know I I don't understand her motivations like I mean, we were kind of laughing about it before. You know, because her motivation is basically to fuck this guy again, but it's, but there's there's obviously more to it than just that. You know, I'm we're simplifying. I'm simplifying it for a joke, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, you know, I'm sure if we dig, um, and, and I mean, it's kind of the, the spuffy of it all, right? The mm. you know, uh, the uh, I don't want to use the word abusive relationship because I'm not sure if this rises to that level, but you can definitely argue that it's a manipulative um, and kind of has like a violent taste to it um and you know i guess it's you know in the most reductive sense we could just always pivot back to the the spuffy of it all the um the abusive kind of addictive uh addicted to the darkness kind of thing um or just you know having that you know uh, abusive relationships are really complicated i've been in one it's tough um so i guess you can always go go there um but i i think the thing that there, there is something about Frank that is very charming and that seduces part of the audience as well. So I guess you kind of get that from her. You, you kind of get that too, you know, um, a, a little bit. I don't know. Am I just talking in my butt here? No, no, no. I, I, I get what you mean. Uh, it, it's um, because you look at Larry and, and like Larry cuts his hand when they're, you know, pulling the, the bed up the stairs and, mm-hmm. and, and he's just this like, and you, you get the sense, like, you, you kind of the first second you meet him, I'm like, that's a, that's a, that's a dad right there. That's a guy that's gonna walk into a room and just say the cheesiest joke, yep. and just, and nobody's gonna laugh, but he thinks he's funny and cute and charming, and, you know, and and even like at the dinner party when he's like, you know, I should, I should sue the hospital, you know, what are these doctors doing, you know, blah blah blah, they, you know, I cut my hand, they weren't even helping me, and it's just like, like man, this guy is just such a, you know. It, just such a square you know and you can feel julia in the scene just feeling so like trapped and annoyed and she's like i'm gonna go to bed like i don't want to deal with this anymore so there's there's an you know 
Frank is alluring because, oh, he's, oh, that's that's the brother we don't talk about. Oh, that he's dangerous. He's sexy, you know, and he and he wants me, you know, kind of feeling that unfortunately is, you know, in an abusive relationship, all too easy to fall in line with. Like, you'll just your, you know, your shields will go down and just be like, no, this this is the one, and I will do anything to keep the one, even if logic is out in you know in all cases logic is out the window well you know what i wrote i actually because I, I took notes while i while i watched and um i called it the corruption of a heroine um, okay. which i thought was so i that's like the best way i can describe this and i think that's what makes the the film so unique is that he i feel like she wouldn't be doing these things if it weren't for him if that mm-hmm. makes sense yeah. so i think that she is corrupted by him and this you know this this dark you know um this dark and seductive uh thing that they have going on that she can't get out of this you know this addictive thing um in relationship um it it, it just slowly corrupts her to the point where there's nothing left um because i don't think that she starts out as an evil person who would kill people but she's pushed there by this abusive relationship so maybe that's kind of the Maybe that's the maybe that's the narrative that Hellraiser is kind of striking with this um, core relationship. Um, I also kind of wonder: Do you think like it's? Um, would you say it's appropriate to call her a femme fatale? Because I I definitely got vibes in the way that she dressed, the fact that she had the accent, um, like the overall flair to her felt like somebody we would have seen in a nineteen forties movie, like the classic femme fatale. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I can I can see that you know just I mean it's there's something about like especially with Americans with accents anyway right I mean like, um, it's you know it's the first thing we'd pick up on if we were interested in, in someone of you know that you know strike up a conversation be like oh where, where are you from um, then you know, it turns into that sort of discussion but uh, but like I said you know she it's not hard for her to lure these men to their deaths essentially mm-hmm. um and <clears throat> and that says and, a, a well, can i just her. ask can yeah, i ask yeah, like yeah. do you think i feel like the first guy that she does this to versus as it goes on i feel like she becomes much more comfortable with it and i think that's why i use the phrase corruption because mm-hmm. that the first guy i feel like that scene is so dragged out right yeah um compared to the, the the briefness and the conciseness of the scenes that follow like she definitely becomes okay with it i don't think she's ever like excited about doing it but she becomes a nerd to it um uh, which i think is such an interesting thing to the way that, that it's depicted because it's something that's very natural right but the way that hellraiser shows it to us on screen um it, it's very compelling no i no i definitely agree because you can tell that it's you know she she knows what she has to do, but mm-hmm. she's scared to do it. And then, you know, and then she kind of, the only reason she really does it in the first place is because the guy sees Frank and she freaks out and, and, and does, you know, whatever she needs to for him. And it's, it's such a, you know, and it is this, you know, drawn out scene, but it also is just, we're, we're kind of from her point of view, right? You know, we're seeing, like this horrific thing happened and it's like well there's no turning back now like you're you're you now you're a murderer and 
and it's interesting to see Frank just slowly coming back, and her, and she's just, you know, it, 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 like you said, she becomes numb to it. She's just more and more, like, it's this, I'm getting what I want so I can deal with this, you know, this terrible thing I'm doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. Um, and I think it's so interesting the way they characterize the husband as, like, you were calling him, like, the the dad, the good guy, the ultimate, like, do-gooder, you know? There, I think, again, I think this is a very classic tale, and I think that Hellraiser does it in in style, and I think that's what makes it different, or at least feel different and entertain in a different way, because I find it to be, like I said, like, I don't want to under undervalue the directing. I find this movie to be so watchable. Um, it is just, it sucks you in. Like, I was on the edge of my fucking seat yeah. <laughs> whenever she brought the first guy over to the house. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, you know? And especially watching that in like a 2022 lens, um, the gender politics of it are so interesting to me. Um, I just, I, I thought it was an awesome, um, I, I, I just thought it was, this whole movie had such an awesome um, feeling to it, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, it, it totally does. And I, I think what, you know, what works for, for Larry is just, it, it's, you know, like, he's just a pretty simple character. You know, we don't need much uh, backstory or anything on him. Uh, all we really need to know is that he's just, you know, he's Kirsty's dad. He's Julia's husband. And he's just kind of the, just kind of a normal, regular guy. And then, so when these, all these horrific things are happening around him, you know, he doesn't even really get to be a part of it, you know, until he becomes, like, literally Frank's skin at the end, which is twisted and weird in its own right. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, the twist that I wasn't expecting, like, there were there are so many twists in this movie, yeah. I feel like. Um, but that twist, I literally like, gasped. Like, you like, you can tell something's off, right? But, like, you, I didn't realize that it was taken to that length. It was oh, I, lovely. I thought it was a really nice way to advance the chess pieces to get to the finale you know um the you know the twist when, when i first saw the movie that that got that um that got me was how important kirsty was to the plot that she was going to be the final girl which you sort of realize like when she sort of figures out that everything's going whatever that you know whatever blah, if she figures out everything that's going on and you know and then she gets transported into the Cenobite world and then suddenly it's like she's like don't take me you know you know you want Frank I'll give you Frank and it's just such a you know I, I, I like that part really tripped me up the first time I saw it because I was like like oh like you know this is someone who they, they, there was a reality to it it's like I know Frank's not a good guy so I don't mind like re-sacrificing him to the Cenobites <laughs> but it's also like you know but she's because she just out of curiosity was you know fiddling with the box and then the Cenobites are like well you you played with it this is this is what happens this is the consequence and and she finds a way out of it which I I found so interesting and, and that's and that's something that I think the best horror movies do right is you, you have to have your final girl be smart because if she's just you know, like like you know, like Sydney says, right? Just some dumb bimbo running up the stairs. Then you know, then we're not going to care. Yeah. You know. No, I I think that um, 
she's very smart. I think actually both women are smart in this film. Um, I, I love the. Uh, I love the uncomfortable nature of their relationship as well. Um, you know, I, the, the whole family family dynamic, I think, was characterized well. Um, you know, husband, wife, father, daughter, you know, uh, and then the two women. I thought all those classic dynamics were just, yeah, they materialized well enough that they can just incorporate this wacky movie in, into it. And again, it's all just so compelling. Yeah. It, so. You know, in, in any other movie, it would just be, this this drama between like the you know the husband and wife and she's having an affair and the daughter knows about it and doesn't know what to you know tell the dad and but when you throw in this otherworldliness to it there's it still oddly does it feels you know real there's a you know like richard donner said about the first superman you know the word he used was verisimilitude which i think about a lot with movies that i really enjoy like when you have a if you can buy what the main characters are doing. If you can buy their world and their how they're living in it, then you can buy whatever else the movie is selling because it's it's inviting you to say like, okay, well this is a real family going through real stuff even though there's a, you know, skeleton man coming out of the <laughs> you know, coming, you know, being born out of blood in the in the other room that nobody goes in, like I said, <laughs> for apparently several weeks. Um but to be to be fair, my house has a room that I don't go into because uh, my my friend that I'm renting the house from has not finished it. So that's the reason I don't go in that room. Well, you know, I have to say though, like it's um, the way that the whole scene goes down with like this is going to be weird. You probably did not expect Ryan C. Showers to say this when you invited him to be a guest. But I think that the way that the way that this film takes on the affair culture like the hookup culture mm -hmm. is kind of like you know the fact that this that the first guy he's like he's like totally game to still you know fuck without a bed like he's yeah. like okay i guess we could fucking hear i actually think that 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 makes the movie there's an added dimension to it where it's like oh they're getting at something real here like this you know um i don't know i, I don't know much about straight culture um but <laughs> i don't know if like this this is really how it's done like would do women just like dress up in like fancy clothes and go to a bar and like you know bam it happens but um i thought that like um the, I, the way that that the uncomfortableness in that scene not to be repetitive with my words but it, it is so un uncomfortable because we're seeing it through her perspective we know something is going bad is going to happen um but he's still so innocent and the scene's so drawn out like i just think the way that he responds to the situation, I think, is very interesting and very, very nuanced. Uh, no, I, I agree. Um, and and I, I don't know. I've never really been in a situation like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, sort of. But, you know, no, uh, no uh, you know, skinless men came out of the closet for me. Um, at least not yet. Thank right? God. So, <laughs> there, is a, there is a room. I don't go in upstairs. Uh, <laughs> who, knows what, who knows what Mike's doing up there? Um, kidding everything's fine in the house uh, but uh you, it, you know you, but I, I like the way you put that that there's just you know this this idea of the guy's just like yeah okay whatever like it's it's gonna be uh i don't know for lack of a better word like an adventure for him right like this is this is his normal tuesday kind of a situation and so he's down for it and and again i find that believable i don't I, I, you know, it, it would have been odd if it had just been like, well, it's like, oh, there's no bed? Like, uh, this is weird. Like, I'm, I'm getting out of here. It's like, no, no, he's got one thing on his mind, and he's 
and he's ready for it. And and like I said, that believability sells helps sell the scene to me. And uh, you know, I, I don't want to approach this from I I, I don't want it to sound like a t- I don't want to sound like um, a reductive, annoying Twitter voice. But it is interesting to look at this movie from a consent point of view. Um, I feel like if, you know, if this were an original film made today, um, I feel like the dynamic would, they, they would have changed it. I think maybe that's why I found it so refreshing in a way is that it it feels like a relic from an old time. And to see this movie is dealing with, with dark relationships. And I think it's interesting the way that how pushy he is once he gets to the house and she is so, she, she's recoiling and like, you know I, I wouldn't want to have sex with somebody who is that you know on edge you know but I, it's just so interesting to see the way how pushy he is with her um despite her being uncomfortable which is very i think um interesting so it, no i i agree because it you know she because we as the audience we know what's going to happen and mm-hmm. she knows what's going to happen but he doesn't and it's and it's interesting to see it played where he doesn't understand why the mood has shifted mm-hmm. and then you know and then we as the audience know what's coming and and like you said before you know we were talking about it it, it, it getting dragged out that way really um it, it just sells the uncomfortableness and the tension and and it's and it's and the the wild thing about it is that you know there's the cenobites really aren't in the movie that much and they're yeah. not in this part of the movie and here we are we've been talking for a good long while about this one scene that that hooked us into the you know into the this unhealthy you know just toxic relationship that frank and julia have it's really really interesting and um and like i said there's there's this kind of sad reality to it um you know because i think about larry and i think man that guy that that poor sucker you know like (laughs) yeah wife and his brother are just you know not only did they screw behind his back but now they're killing people It's just, well, it's just getting worse. <laughs> and I, I see this like, you know, in college, I wrote this essay about fatal attraction and how um, like that movie and the reason why it was so popular in the 80s was it was a um, it was a rebuttal to the feminism that we experienced the decade before mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, the single feminist woman who has sex at will in, in the city, she is the enemy. She is the person who's trying to break up a, a traditional domestic family. Um, and I almost feel like that same kind of, cause this, if they came out uh, this, either the same year or very close to each other, Hellraiser and Fatal Attraction, mm-hmm. I find it so interesting that like, again, you know, we are seeing a portrait of like the good husband, you know, and like this woman who's sexual, uh, you know, uh, age, whose sexual agency or sexual uh, proclivities are threatening to the family, if that makes sense. I think it's, I think it's done very intentionally of the time and culture. And it's, it would be interesting to look at it through a, a through a, a lens like that. Um, if you were writing an essay or something. That, that is, that is really interesting. And, and you know, and I, uh, in full disclosure, this surprises a lot of people. I, as far as you know, me going as like a film, like quote, quote unquote film buff, I, my film library is quite, you know, is, is gapped, you know, like, I have not seen Fatal Attraction. I know I know oh. what happens, and I know I know the whole story, and I've seen bits and pieces of it here and there, like in, you know, like I don't know, like Halloween specials or whatever, like on AMC that they used to do. Um, I think it used to be on there, um, along with every other Halloween except the first one. <laughs> um, and same with like I think like one or two of the Nightmare movies. It's weird. It's like just show them all. It's weird that you're only showing a couple. Anyway. Um, 
but uh, and it, it's just you know. But but again, there's there's an. Uh, it's interesting to to throw in that that kind of comparison because it, you know, I mean, you're not wrong when you say, it, but it's also like, like man, like what what are we trying to say with this movie, and and it's not, but it's not like a bad thing. It's not like we're the movie's saying that all women are corrupted by sex or drugs or you know quote-unquote bad boys right like it's it's this specific person that's unhappy in her life is doing terrible things to get that spark back which is uh you know not at all like an admirable goal because it's like you know a healthy person would say no you need to move on from that and (laughs) find a new spark but when you're in that kind of vicious cycle of toxicity you're going to go back into those terrible habits pretty quickly. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what the, what the movie is going for um, in terms of like the fact that um, the fact that the, the pieces are moved in the finale where Frank, you know, uh, he takes on the husband in a, 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 the, the flesh, if that makes sense. Yep. I think um, again, I think there's something about the corruption um, here where it just consumes all of the good, you know what I mean? And I think that Hellraiser's almost like responding to that in a social allegorical kind of a way. Um, on top of just being a damn good, effective fucking horror movie, um, <laughs> I, the music in this is something that really, uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned the music, but the music kind of floored me. Like, you know, I feel like horror movies, a lot of horror movies, they're, they can, their claim to fame is the score. I think of like Halloween, Jaws, Psycho, but I actually think Hellraiser's score is kind of underrated in that respect. Um, I think the score is part of that quality that just sucks you in uh, and makes you so invested in the story, if that makes sense. Um, there's something really, uh, really grand about the score. You know, it's it's kind of a, a lost art, I, I'd say, because there's very few movies uh, within the past, I'd say, 15 years that where the, the score has blown me away. Uh, one example being like the the Batman that came out. I think you know. I mean, obviously, I'm very biased, but that Same. that that brought me back to like the Danny Elfman days where the score added to the movie. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, like you were saying, like horror movies. You know, it, you know, everybody knows Jaws. Everybody knows Psycho. You know, even mm-hmm. if you've never seen the movies or Halloween. You know, I mean, you can't walk into a bar on Halloween night without hearing some version of you know the halloween theme or um or even the ghostbusters theme for that for that matter um but uh you know so it's so i like that the the music can enhances the movie but it's also not distracting like you could probably listen to the soundtrack and uh and feel like you're still in the movie i remember my uh, my sister's wife uh years and years ago said that she felt that way about the the score for uh, Sleeping with the Enemy, the Julia Roberts movie, um, that she like couldn't listen to just the music; it would scare the hell out of her. Like if she was alone, you know. <laughs> the uh, what movie? The um, uh, Sleeping with the Enemy. Yeah. Okay, I mean that movie. Let's be fair. That movie is very tormenting. Like I, I have nightmares from that, and like I watched that like as an adult, and I, I was creeped out by it. So. Fair enough, but I, I only saw it one time with, with her a long time ago. I think it was like 
12 years old, so I probably should have been watching it. But she's like, I love this movie. It's great. And, and you know, and I, and looking back, it's like, really? Like, you know, you know, you said that Danny DeVito's Penguin scared the hell out of you when you were a kid, but this movie is okay. Sure. You know, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's, it, but it, like I said, it's, it's a lost art that a lot of movies just, they're so, maybe it's just the movies I'm seeing, you know, because I'm a big superhero fan, like, the, the special effects and all of that is just so bombastic and gigantic that the music really gets lost in the shuffle. Whereas, like, I, you know, I miss the days when, you know, you could have the Jaws theme carrying the movie. You, you had the Star Wars theme carrying the movie um, in, in ways that just doesn't doesn't happen that much anymore, at least at least from my perspective. No, I agree. Like, I mean, um, I'm not I don't want to throw shade um but, you know, the and I love what Brian Tyler did with the music in Scream 2022. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that he does a great job of kind of mimicking Marco Beltrami and kind of getting the, the tone right for Scream 2022. Yep. But compared to what the original trilogy was for Marco Beltrami, um, it, it doesn't quite match up. You know, even though like the effort is there, like it's funny, like even in today's world where someone is trying to put the effort in to recreate kind of the magic of what what somebody had to do in the nineties to make an iconic score. Cause the, the, the original trilogy of scream, they, the score is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, and he didn't quite succeed. I, he didn't quite succeed at the same level. I think it's still a success. It's just not, you know, it's not the a plus success, you know, and of continuity, if that makes sense. But even yeah. so, like, I mean, I just don't, I, I don't, you know, even for like something like scream Four, uh, Marco Beltrami, who, you know, same guy, but he kind of dipped big time with it with, with the score. It, it seemed like it didn't matter, and I think that's a that's a quality that's so important to horror films. And whenever you take that away, I think that's why we have seen such a shift and and a change in horror films in terms of like the way that they sound, right? No, yeah, it, it and you know that's something they can easily um, maybe not even if it doesn't make the movie, it can break the movie. You mm-hmm. know, like Alfred Hitchcock, you know, very famously. Any chance he could get away with not having music in his movies, he would he would do that. And I think there's only like a couple of his that that don't have any music in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, M Night Shyamalan tried the same trick and you know could and realized that the movie looked weird without it, so he put music into it. But you you know and and I don't know. I I think that the lack of music is 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 just not a trick that I don't you, you know it's it can't be used very often you know like hitchcock could do it because he was hitchcock um but nowadays it's like you 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 need something in there to boost 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 the audience up a little bit the only like appropriate time to not use music is uh to not use score in my opinion is in episodes like buffy's the body or like um you know uh, that's kind of like the only real exception to the rule i think where you know, uh, and, and besides, Joss Whedon was doing something very specific with that episode and trying to depict grief and not, it, that was that, that was probably the least horror episode of Buffy in the series. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it's done with a purpose. So, but I digress. No, no, I, uh, no, I, I get what you mean, though. Um, and it, it's, it's easier with, with television, I think, because it, it sort of demands that you shake up the formula every mm-hmm. so often. Uh, and Joss Whedon for all his faults that have come to light as of as of recently, but uh, he was very good at that. You know, he was good at um, 
knowing when the, the formula needed to be shook up so that the audience could be uh, surprised, you know, could be surprised again. That's why it's part of the reason like Buffy has some longevity to it and why there's still like, you know, the, there's an ongoing comic book and, um, and all this other stuff because it basically says like there's still an audience here that, that loves this and mm-hmm. and you know and, and it understands that you, you gotta just you gotta do something different and like I said Joss Whedon was good at that and and this movie too you know Hellraiser just you know like you were talking about before it, it, it kind of flipped the formula on its head like this isn't like the, the Cenobites you know I, and I think if you look at the poster you probably think oh Pinhead is the the main Monster. character, yeah. yeah. Like I was saying earlier, this subversion of these like archetypes, I thought was just so. Like at first, you know, I thought it was just the the villain, and then I've re- yeah. then as the film began its arc and the the final girl revealed herself, hmm. I was like, oh my god, this is so so cool that they did this. Like that the the, the narrative was structured this way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and- I I do want to say like I, again like I mentioned it at the top of the show, but like the makeup and like the prosthetics and like the special effects are done. Like it's so different how things used to be done. Uh, You know, one could argue that it's, it was better back then with movies like this, because I find like the, the makeup to be so disgusting (laughs) in this, like it's so, it it feels so real. Like I was just floored. Like, honestly, uh, this is another Buffy reference, but I'm on a Buffy kick right now because I just added a Buffy. I'm kind of starting a, like a Buffy like a branch of screw with Ryan C. Showers with my Patreons. Um, but like it, the the look and the makeup of Pinhead and uh, and of Frank and all, uh, the different things that this movie does, it remind they remind me of like weird Buffy villains, like villains of the week. You know, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I think uh, you know it's stuff that I've talked about before on this show, like like ad nauseum it's like you know, I, I miss the days when we didn't just rely on fucking cgi to do all the work for us you know it's part of the reason that like you know uh like stranger things season four like vecna i was so relieved seeing all these behind the scenes and oh that's a person in in a costume in prosthetics and there's obviously a lot of cgi but it's it's an actual actor doing that stuff with the other actors and it's just like a, such a relief i'm like oh that's why that scene those scenes are that much more powerful because you actually, you know, if you're going to walk into on set and there's Pinhead staring at you, let's scare the shit out of you, you know? <laughs> um, that's, that's something that I think just, you know, is kind of a lost art, you know, much like the movie scores. Um, it, you know, it's just, you know, like, you know, I, I've said this about other stuff, like the original Ninja Turtles. Like, I miss the costumes, you know, instead of the big CGI guys. You know, I miss, uh, you know, and even, like, with... Um, excuse me, like with the Iron Man movies, there was some costume that Robert Downey Jr. would wear, but then as the movies went on, it just, he wasn't wearing a costume anymore. It was just like a gray jumpsuit. And and, he, and they even did it with Spider-Man. And I was like, I was like, you don't have to do that with Spider-Man though. He's supposed to look like he's in a, he's in a skin tight costume that could break at any second, you know? Um, Literally. But yeah, and it's just, that's a conversation for another day. But yeah, it, you know, and I, and I like that, the designs are really uh, unique and scary and weird. You know, it's not just this devil-looking guy. It's, you know, Pinhead, you know. And I remember, you know, in going to... It's called Knight's Movie Store in the town I lived in when I was a kid. Um, you know, seeing, like, the posters. 
and just thinking right off the bat, like that's that's scary. I don't I don't want to watch that movie ever. And then you know, twenty years later, I did. But <laughs> uh, but at the time, it was just like you know, just just that one image. I was like, I that's that's scary enough. Which says a lot that just the the poster scared yeah. me as a kid. You know, and almost turned me off to the movie until I got wise and said, hey, horror movies are fun too. So <laughs> horror movies are fun too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's it's interesting, I, I think, that, you know, the how the movie plays out because we don't get to, you know, there's not a lot of world building or anything like that. It's a very small group of people. Yep. Um, whereas, you know, I feel like nowadays movies try their hardest to, it's either like a giant cast or it's the smallest cast you can get. <laughs> yeah. And, and I didn't even realize it until like how, so <clears throat> I was almost done with the movie. I was like, there really weren't very many actors in this movie. It was very, you know, very much confined to this, this little family and, and, you know, like the dinner party and the Cenobites, but that's about it really. And I think that kind of goes <laughs> to like, the film's runtime to me is so funny. Like it's very short. It's a very short movie, yeah. but there, I just like so much happens in this movie with this within this and within the screenplay. But I think that goes to what you're saying is just like uh, the, the small like the small size of the cast they i think that they really ju- they they really get all the juice out of each of the characters yep. um, and like all the potential out of these characters with you know and i think that's why such a, a short film feels so epic if that makes sense yeah no it, it totally does um and it was nice like when i was re-watching it because it had been a while and i forgot how much kirsty was in the movie because I don't know why, but I was—I guess I was thinking of Poltergeist. Because the the oldest daughter in that movie, you know, she's only in like the beginning and then the end of the movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And I—I I think I, I don't know why, but I thought that's what was happening. So when she was in more of the movie, I was sitting there going, like, wait, like she's—what am I thinking of? <laughs> she's in more of this movie than I thought. But but again, it it makes sense because without even realizing, it, we're building up to her being the hero in the end, um, as opposed to. It, it being Larry or Julia having some sort of redemption moment or something. Redemption. Uh, that's what I was expecting. I was expecting, okay, she's going to, she's going to help the, with the murders, but then, she, but she's not going to be culpable in such a way that she can't be redeemed. And I love that Hellraiser didn't do that. They pushed it and they, they embraced the darkness and like had the balls to do that because you could have easily, had the the hero have the redemption and that would have been easier and cleaner but this is kind of a darker twist you know yeah and so it, it, no it, it definitely is and, and it's interesting that there's even though quote unquote the good guys win in the end it doesn't really feel like a victory no. because everything's he has all the because everybody's dead except for kirsty and uh, and i think her boyfriend if i you know if i remember that right um but uh but it's it's just sort of, uh, but but I'm glad for that because it, it makes it does help the movie stand out a little bit, you know. And it's the same thing like we were talking about Candyman earlier. Like Candyman has kind of a happy ending in the sense that the baby is saved, but like, you know, but she died in the process, and Candyman still kind of won in the end. So it's really, yeah. uh, uh, really kind of shocking. And but but that's sort of the the stuff that I like. I. I don't mind when movies end that way because sometimes, you know, like like the movie The Mist. Have you ever seen that? Um, no. Oh, well, then I don't want to tell you. Uh, it's, I'll just tell you that the the ending is 
is very dark and it okay. just and it blew and it blew me away i'll never forget it much like the ending of this movie i don't think i'll ever forget him saying jesus wept it's just those two words are so fucking terrifying i i don't even know why really just the way he looks like right at her and says it because i guess the original line he was going to say fuck you and then uh it was the actor who plays larry came up with the idea to change it and i was like I, that was the right move it 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 adds a uh, you know a weird like i'll be back kind of sense yeah you know? because if it just been fuck you then i would have felt like well the movie's over and we don't need a sequel but no, there, there's there's an open-endedness to that, you know, if that makes any sort of sense. Yeah, it does. And I, um, you know, not having seen The Mist, I can't, I don't really have it to compare it to, but I love that. Um, I, you know, movies like that, I, I'm glad that, like, I'm glad that we have a balance of happy and happy endings with movies like that, because I think mm-hmm. those can be so dramatically powerful, you know, I mean, uh, and they really overtake you, you know, so. Well, it's it's sort of like with, uh, with Scream, you know, that it, uh, you know, they, they have all had pretty happy endings for the most part. Um, and, 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 I, and, I, and I think that that works for those movies because those movies are trying not to be the, you know, the, they're, they're more of a deconstruction of horror anyway mm-hmm. um, versus like, you know, the first Night- Nightmare on Elm Street is very much like you think it's going to be a happy ending and then it isn't. And, and, I, and I always liked the way that movie ended, although I guess Wes Craven hated it. <laughs> you know, he only did it because the studio made him. Uh, hey, but, you know what? Wes was <laughs> deep down. Wes was a very warm guy, yeah, <laughs> despite yeah. despite the uh, despite the outward appearance. But you know, I was actually just talking about this um, on my show today because uh, we we covered like so. I waited a while to, to talk about the Nev Campbell pay dispute thing sure. that's going on with Scream Six. Um, I wanted the dust to settle, and I really wanted to approach the approach this topic from a very grounded perspective and i didn't want to just you know just take you know grind the surface of you know oh you go girl me too like that that to me is just not an interesting conversation Mm -hmm. or it doesn't really reveal the truth of what's really going on so i wanted to take my time with it and let the dust settle and we kind of were talking about scream six and kind of what could happen in it and um so one of my friends uh, who was on the on the show today he suggested that sam will die at the end of scream six and that and i just said i can't imagine that 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 just doesn't seem like a scream ending where you know uh, our the main character of five is gone and her sister whom she reconciled with and that was the big emotional center of the fifth movie that she would be that we can leave her like that at the end of a movie like so i i don't know if scream would ever do that uh do an ending that was as shocking as as something like a nightmare on elm street if that makes sense yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, and I, you know, what? just on that topic for just a second, like, there's a part of me that's kind of glad Nev Campbell isn't in it because I just, I don't want her getting legacied off the way, like, the original Star Wars cast was, right? You know, it's like, oh, we're going to lose Han, then we're going to lose Luke, and then lose Leia. It's like, you know, you know, I'm already worried about Courtney for this movie. So it's like, I, I don't want to, that, that, you know, that aspect of it to me is just like, like, ah, uh, like, please don't. Like, I, I, going into this one, I knew one of them was gonna, was gonna bite it. And I was like, and then, 
you know, like I said, it's like it's it's gonna be Dewey, and I'm not gonna be okay with that. <laughs> well, and I, you know, from like on that, like I think it's important to tell these stories. Like you know, the, the difference is like Gail Weathers makes sense to be in an, an, another movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think Sydney makes sense where you know she was kind of painted into the sunset at the end of Scream Five. You know, yes. yeah. she is, you know, and she barely. And let, let's be real about Sydney in Scream Five. She was she wasn't really an active part of the movie for most of it. Like you know, even in the finale when she had ninety percent of her screen time in the in the final twenty minutes, she didn't do much. She was just there, and you know, she's the only one of the four final girls in, the, in that sequence that didn't kill one of the killers. And I mean, she barely gets a moment to herself. So it's kind of like they were making her as irrelevant as possible because she is supposed to be happy. She's supposed to be with Mark Kincaid and her kids in suburbia. Like, whereas Gail Weathers, she lost the love of her life. And when Ghostface reemerges, she's going to be fucking pissed. I think that is a more urgent story to tell us. I would rather them tell that story than just awkwardly make Sydney a part of it for no reason. So um, it's a complicated situation. And I, I think Nev will be back in the future when there is a story about her where she is the lead i think the problem was i don't think she was given that she had a big role in it i i think i'm i'm i think she had a very small part obviously if they could have rewritten it and you know cut her out of it so easily but and i think she was i think where her expectation of the salary was versus the work that she would have had to have done it just didn't match up and there there was just no productive communication about it so yeah that's my that's my conclusion so <laughs> You know, it's, Sorry. You know, no, no, no. All, all good. Um, you know, I, I'd be, I'd be weirded out if there wasn't any like scream talk during this. <laughs> I, you know, it would have to be like I'm private messaging you, going, "Is there somebody in the house? Like, you haven't mentioned scream." So, <laughs> There's a gun to my head. <laughs> call the police. Um, but uh, so you know, I, I think this this type of series would be interesting to revisit, like in a, you know, in a Halloween and a scream Candyman kind of sense. Um, because you know, there's this world is so you know vast. First, yeah, in in the first movie, just and I think what's great about it is that it barely touches on anything. You know, it just it's you know like we were talking about, it's more about the family than it is anything else. The mm-hmm. the otherworldliness, the the hell aspect of it is so uh, almost secondary to the plot. It's just sort of used to sell the movie, which is smart, of course. Um, but you know, like you said, you know, you're, you're kept, you were captivated by like the affair scene and everything. It's like, so you're not even sitting there going, Oh, I thought Pinhead looked so cool. And I was so excited to see him. Like, you know, that, that's the mark of a really great story in my opinion, you know, and, and why I would, I would love to see some sort of, you know, legacy sequel, like, like a Halloween or, you know, they're working on, uh, an exorcist sequel that's supposed to take place after part one. Um, which uh, I, I think it's the same guys who did Halloween, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. uh, like David Gordon Green and uh, Danny McBride, which, you know, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. Like, if you ever watched Eastbound and Down and then Halloween, you're like, those two guys made the same fucking thing? That's weird. Um, but I, I would, you know, but I don't know, you know, I, I would love to see some sort of uh, part two 35 years later. Well, the thing about, like, I'm so glad that you mentioned this, because this is on my thing, is, like, I feel like I don't really know much about the mythology of these these guys, of, of Pinhead, and, like, this whole other universe. Like, I, it's so, it's so, like, uh, selectively incorporated 
into this movie. Um, so now, even though I've seen some of the sequels, I would love to, I, I would probably understand them more. Because um, yeah. I don't, you know, I didn't think that's the beauty of this movie. Like, and I wanted to ask you, like, I, I, this is just my, you know, me as a podcaster myself. Do you think that they expected this movie to go on to be a huge success where they would explore the mythology more deeply? Or did, do you think that they just constructed it to be like this elusive kind of thing? I, I don't think, I, I don't think they, if it's anything like I think a lot of, some of my favorite movies were made, you know, sort of by the skin of the filmmaker's teeth back in the day. They, they were happy just to get this one out. And, mm-hmm. and never in their wildest dreams imagine that they, they'd get to do a second, let alone three, four, I, th- I think there's six Hellraisers. Um, um, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure there's at least six. And, you know, it's the like, same thing with George Lucas and Star Wars. Like, he was just happy to get that out in the world. And, you know, Spielberg with Jaws. And, uh, you know, it, it's just... It, and that kind of behind-the-scenes drama is just as interesting as the movie itself to me. Mm-hmm. Um so no, I, I don't think that, I, I think they were just, Clive Barker was just happy to get this one out in the world, and when it was successful, then it's like, okay, great, now we can continue and do more. Um, because like I said, even though I, I felt like there's an open-endedness to it, it 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 also didn't, you know, it, there's no cliffhanger, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which, it, I, I think is such a cool, a cool way, because like, in the way, I just don't think that if I had to guess, I'm sure that it was always in the back of their minds to explore this more deeply, but I don't think you start out and you spend so much time with the family, you know, if you are concerned with the mythology, if that makes sense. Right. No, no, like, I totally agree. And you could, one could argue that the mythology probably ruined the series you know, mm-hmm. with all the, with the countless sequels, right? Yeah. That went straight to DVD or straight to video or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, so, it, you know, in, I think that's just, you know, sort of, that's sort of what these 80s horror movies did, you know, I mean, they, they just would run them into the ground in a lot of cases, uh, you know, it even, it even happened with like the Alien movies, you know, and, um, and we haven't arguably had a great Alien movie since, you know, the second one, in my opinion, uh, the other ones have been okay, um, okay, Randy, okay, <laughs> sequels suck, uh, but, you know, that's get away again, from her you bitch <laughs> um but you know it, at the same time it's like you know you get uh, it, it 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 can be interesting the problem with a lot of these horror movies is that they especially in the 80s and the, in the 90s they were just churning them out so quick that you know they nobody cared you know like it seemed like nobody cared like we, we it, it doesn't matter what the script is people just want to see the the monsters and it's like well no like we're here talking about Hellraiser because we were invested in the characters and Pinhead's cool and he, and he's scary, but I'm more interested in, in, in the characters. Like same with scream. It's like those, if those movies didn't have that core trio and the other supporting characters, it's just not as, um, it's not nearly as interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. The, um, I mean, that's why I, I love scream so much. That's why I have a podcast about it. Um, and you know, it, we're presented with a very interesting thing now with one of the members of the trio being gone um effectively the person who kind of even though i feel like 
Gale and Sydney are like the superstars of the trio, uh, and Dewey's the glue that holds them together and created this, you know, and unified them. You uh, just uh, out of curiosity, on uh, I, I, if I remember correctly, on our episode of my podcast that you were on back in the you know last fall, um, you said Dewey was your favorite member of the trio, correct? Uh, or did you pick Sid? No, I think no, I picked Sydney. Okay. Um, but no, I, I just you know I get and I, I want your listeners to hear like I get compliments on your Mickey episode to this day. Um, people have a lot of people have just been so moved by the way that you and I approached that topic of um, of Mickey and Timothy Elephant's character. Um, uh, it, it was uh, uh, people really loved um, people really people really loved your episode. So, well, I appreciate that, uh, and you know, it, it, and that was that was a lot of fun. You know, it was sort of the first time we had met. And, uh, and it was just like, you know, and, you know, I said this, you know, when you, you came back, we, we talked about Silence of the Lambs, you know, a few months ago. Um, Which also, I loved that. That was an amazing conversation as well. Like, yeah. And I'm so glad that you picked that, that film because that's one, that's one of my favorite films. And so mm-hmm. it was so cool to do your show now with my favorite, you know, one, one of my top five favorite movies mm-hmm. and now a movie that I was just seeing for the first time, but I still loved. Yeah. It, you know, it, but I think what, what I love about having, you on board here is you, you're offering much more perspective than than I could, you know. And I I loved your I, you know, you know I loved your take on uh, on Julia's arc in the film and and everything because it would have just been, you know, because if it was just me with maybe one of my my friends, we probably would have just been like, oh man, like it's it's fucking gross when they're ripping him apart and everything. Like, <laughs> but we can actually get more into like the the character study of it, which is. You know, like I said, far more interesting than than the scary stuff, which adds to it. Um, but that it, it doesn't. But ultimately, and probably why the sequels fail and go straight to video. You know, no offense to the people involved, but it's you know, there's there is a story here, and and I love being able to talk about that with you. Yeah. No. And I mean, RCS is going to do what RCS does. I mean, <laughs> this is. <laughs> I, I, you know, this is, I, I love talking about this stuff and I love examining, like, especially in horror films because they do not get their due and no offense to you and your buddies with the, oh man, that was so cool. And this, you know, the, the skin got ripped off. Like, you know, no offense. I, I but I love I, horror movies don't get the credit that they deserve as art forms. And I think there's so much passion behind people who make things like Buffy and scream Um like, you know, I was actually reading a book um, where they interviewed Sarah Michelle Gellar and she she said that the people like the cast and the crew and the writers, like they lived and breathed the passion to make Buffy every week. And I think it shows in that yeah. show. Um, and it, because especially because there was no vanity with Buffy, it's not like they were going for friends or ER types of ratings or winning big awards like the Emmys. Like they were historically, you know, kicked out of you know that conversation um just because of prestige and whatever um so i love i love horror for that reason is that there is no pretentiousness around it if that makes sense and like i don't think there's any pretentiousness around hellriser i think there's a lot of passion and creativity and skill and i think that's what makes it such a good movie like i gave this movie a nine out of ten like that is a like a sacrosanct rating (laughs) for me um and i was so impressed with it like i actually want to watch it again um to be honest like i i really ad- admire the heck of it there were some silly things that kept me from really going into 10 out of 10 territory i'm not sure if they quite stick the 
act three landing per se. Mm -hmm. um, but another moment I want to um, I, I want to like just shout out is whenever um, the daughter sees she 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 sees them going into the house. Mm -hmm. That moment I was just on the edge of my seat. I I was like I literally audibly said something. Um, <laughs> I was just so invested in this movie. So thank you for letting for giving me the assignment to watch it. <laughs> You know, I, I I'm glad because I, I you know I, I think I threw a, a either I either threw a list at you like you, you want to do one of these or I just suggested it to you. I think I just suggested you want to do this, um, and, and and I'm glad that you enjoyed it because this otherwise this may not have been a, <laughs> as great a conversation as it was. Um, but but at the same time, like you know, I but I for me becoming a horror fan over the past like you know 10 15 years, you know I I can recognize the the, the stories and if the stories are captivating you know like i find i found Candyman captivating i found the thing captivating like there's there's very real themes in these movies that that can really catch you off guard and yeah uh and it's 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 very hard to do because you know it's it's really easy just to just to you know throw it away as like just oh it's just a dumb horror movie about some dude with pins all over his face it's like well, no, that's that's just a part of it. There's a story here that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's why horror fans are better than other movie fans. So, <laughs> but there's my nose going up in the air. But <laughs> I I've done the same thing for years about uh, about superhero movies, so I totally understand. Uh, like trying to tell my dad that uh, the original Ninja Turtles movie is a great fathers and sons film. <laughs> <laughs> Because I genuinely believe that. And he's just like, okay. And I'm like, but it is. It's great, you know? But whatever. Um, so, uh, Ryan, this has been a total blast. Um, and I, I'm so glad you liked the movie. I'm so glad we got to have this discussion. And um, and for as, you know, like I said, I rewatched it. I was a little intoxicated, so I was <laughs> laughing my ass off during it. But uh, through sober eyes you know <laughs> really <laughs> getting to appreciate the 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 nuance of the film so i appreciate cool. you uh you being you uh helping me to push that forward rcs is gonna rcs well what, what can i say so <laughs> um so uh go ahead and uh, go and plug your show where, where people can find you all over the uh over the interwebs all right well my show is scream with ryan c showers um and um so follow my show you can find it on apple spotify wherever follow me on twitter it's scream um with rcs and um follow me on you know you can subscribe to me on patreon um i have a wonderful wonderful community with great horror scream people um honestly uh my podcast has just been such a wonderful thing in my life i've interviewed you know the filmmakers i've become friends with the filmmakers it's so it's so cool so um if you like scream or have any 90s nostalgia or like I like Buffy, come over my way. You'll you you you'll you'll you you'll, you'll be happy. And I also just want to give another shout out. So JJ, you live in Erie, correct? Yes. I so I'm I live in like State College, Altoona, um, Clearfield area. And at my internship this summer, I'm working. Um, you know, we the where where I where I, where I work, we have a division in Erie. So I've been dealing a lot with Erie. So every time I like hear her, I do think of you. So. Aw, well, that's awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, if you're ever down this way, uh, you know, let me know. We'll we'll grab a drink. Uh, okay. Uh, or we'll go see. Uh, what's out now? Uh, the black. Well, as of this recording, the black phone will be out, so that looks cool. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and uh, as for me, you can uh, catch me at Four Comic Junkies on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can also check out my newer podcast, uh, the Spider-Man Book Club, at Spider-Man Books on Twitter. Um, it's uh, it's small, but it's growing. You know, just like the little spider that bit Peter. Just kidding, it died like right after it didn't grow. Um, don't know why I said that. But folks, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a total blast. Ryan is always uh, a, uh, a very articulate and energetic, passionate guest, so I love getting you on here. Um, and folks, we're just going to leave you with uh, with Pinhead's mantra: Oh, the the sights that we can show you, the uh, all the things we can. Shit! Drop my microphone. God damn it! All right. I ruined it. It's fine. It's fine.